Welcome to the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, helping you unleash the greatness within your dog. Hello, everybody. Today, I'm so excited. I have Cole Harrington with me today on the podcast, who is the director of the movie Pet Fooled. So for those of you who watched the movie, you will know that it blew the lid on the commercial pet food industry in uh, 2016. That movie really, for me, it was like a voice for the dogs. You know, Cole was speaking out for all those animals, especially dogs that don't have a voice, that can't speak. And he was almost talking like like saying, this is what we really think of the food you give us. And then he was looking at the science behind it. This is what, what is really in this dog food. And, and, uh, and then he went into what really should be, what would be good to have in the dog food. And just a fascinating movie all around if you haven't seen it. And he's with us today. He's currently involved in another, what do we call it, project film that's absolutely fascinating and potentially bigger than the first. Cole, wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I wish I could be there in person in New Zealand, but this will do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's great. It's great to have you here. And um, I thought we'd start off by, you know, a lot of people have seen the movie. They'd love to hear um, just your voice and summary about it again. I'm sure they're kind of remembering going, hang on, that's which one was that? That's a great movie, but just remind me of it. And for those people who have no idea what we're talking about, Pet Fooled the movie. Can you give us an idea of Maybe some of the, the, the big pieces that, that came out of the big things that you remember that shocked you almost as a director making that movie and a bit of a summary, really, for those people. Sure. Well, Petfold is it's a feature documentary. It's a quick 71 minutes and it's a look inside the commercial pet food industry. And the in film today is a representation of what I went through and learned looking into the pet food industry for the first time. And I believe the film the end film that we have now that everyone can watch. Um, if anyone wanted to look into the pet food industry, I believe the film is completely representative of what anyone would find. So it's kind of catching people up to speed. But the other aspect of the film that I was surprised at was doing all of this research into what dogs and cats eat, led about the question of, well, what should dogs and cats eat? And it's a question I've never really thought about. Um, I've never really thought about like, what should I eat as a human? What's most appropriate for me? What's less appropriate for me? Um, so one of the things I was fascinated to learn about is that every species has a diet that is their species appropriate diet. And one of the veterinarians in Pet Fooled uh, brilliantly explained um, how earthworms eat dirt and how hummingbirds eat nectar, but you don't feed nectar to a earthworm or dirt to a hummingbird. It just doesn't work. Those animals would die. But the problem in the pet food industry and the big question is you can sort of feed things that are not most appropriate or argued to be not most appropriate for dogs and cats. And they're not dying overnight. Mm, exactly. It's sort of similar to us humans where problems may or may not or may occur over time. Yeah. And I think that for me was a huge part of it that, um, you know, it's so obvious, you know, that dogs can't speak English. They can't say, you know, that food that you keep giving me night after night after night, it actually gives me a sore tummy 
and I'm feeling run down. I don't have much energy, and uh, I think I may be growing a tumor. You know, they don't have a voice like that. So they really do kind of eat stuff which might not be good for them. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, and I one of the other analogies that I liked, and even with new research and projects that I do now, this analogy is coming back where doctors used to recommend smoking. True. <laughs> and then now we know smoking eventually will most likely cause cancer and kill you, yep. you know? And, you know, this sort of concept that the pet food industry runs off that I've learned is sort of, well, it's not hurting them overnight and they can live years and be fine. And, you know, that sort of question of will it cause disease similar to how cigarettes cause disease for humans. That's the sort of question that's totally, you know, the big question in the pet food industry still. I mean, I, I was reading somewhere that the number of dogs who are now dying of cancer is through the roof as a percentage. And it's not being looked into by no. the people that are supposed to regulate. <laughs> you know, the no, and it's something like it's over fifty percent, I believe. Is that does that sound about right? Yeah, I I always see estimates around fifty percent for that. Yeah, and I, yeah, you know, one of the other big things I've learned since releasing the film is how regulation. People always will go to that concept of like, well, is it regulated or are you following regulation? And similar to what we were just talking about, just sort of smoking and smoking causing. I mean, cigarettes are regulated, but does that mean cigarettes are healthy? Yes. I think we would all argue cigarettes are not healthy. Yes, yes. So regulation really doesn't have anything to do with guarantee of health or lifestyle. Yes, yes. And I think the thing is when 50% of dogs are actually dying of cancer, we really should be stopping and saying, hang on. I mean, there's no other species out there. It's not like... You know, if you're looking at birds or fish or, you know, elephants or any of these animals, none of them are dying at 50% of cancer. It's insane. Mm -hmm. It's And they're not, you know, the elephants and the birds are not eating this complete and balanced food that is, you know, most likely to be runoff or waste from the human food industry, yes. from the human food industry. So tell us a little bit about that without wanting to go into all the gory details, but some of that stuff was just shocking for me. And um, I think it'd be good for people to have a bit of a wake up call at the beginning of this, just to kind of go, we're not, yeah, we're, yeah. we're not, we're not talking about dogs, not getting their favorite meal. It's not like we're going, Oh, I wish, you know, today I'm getting macaroni cheese and I really wanted meatballs. We are talking about the equivalent for dogs that they are being given stuff, which is just, horrendously bad quality poisonous almost to some of them and um yeah they're getting stuck with that stuff so can you give us an idea of some of the bad stuff well yeah sure i mean the pet food industry um there's such a range of you could have the best ingredient ever to the what many would argue would be scary ingredients but the pet food industry you know these people that create the regulations and the people that put the foods out they would have you or may want you to believe that everything is good. There is no such thing as a potentially bad ingredient. What do you mean? It's, it's approved by this organization that is not public. Totally. What sort of things, what sort of things, what, what sort of things? Sure. Yeah. Um, you can have anywhere from like, if you read on the package, it's just meat and bone meal. So you can have corn. There's no guarantee of quality. So you could have a product that compromises of corn, wheat, 
with no idea of what quality that corn wheat is. It may not be the same type of corn you and I get. In what sense? Because that's where people, in what sense can you have low, what does low quality corn and wheat mean? Well, that's the big question is sort of what is this corn and wheat? If you say you have corn and wheat, is it just corn and wheat? Or could it be all of the runoff after, you know, human corn is processed? So is it just a shuck, you know, and then it's labeled as corn? So there's all of these questions there. Oh, you mean it's it's Chuck? Sorry, I think it might be an American. Did you say Chuck? Shuck? Shuck. Shuck. I'm calling it a shuck. Or, you know, just sort of like, you know, after the corn is taken off the cob. So cob would be another word for it. So. Got you. Oh, so it's like the corn cobs almost. Just the. Well, all of these ingredients, all of these ingredients are in a book. So they're supposed to follow what that ingredient is defined as. Now, I don't know of a regulator being at these plants 24 seven, or I don't know if regulators having the ability to test and say, actually you do have 30% meat and bone meal. But I think the scariest things that I found Mm -hmm. um, that can go into the food is according to federal law here in the United States, animals that have died other than slaughter are not supposed to be deemed fit for, you know, to be put into pet food. But a loophole to that was the FDA had come up with a compliance policy opinion. So basically the FDA was saying, Hey, we have the ability to regulate pet food. It's what we're tasked with. This is illegal. You can't use animals other than that have died other than slaughter. Yes. So technically you can't use roadkill, right? Yep. Got it. Or uh, something washed up at the beach and a dog and cat maybe got euthanized as a shelter or at the shelter. Right. Now, what happens when the dog and cat is euthanized at the shelter or something's washed up on the beach or it's roadkill? I mean, these are animals that have died other than what is deemed to be an appropriate slaughter. They're all collected. They're all rendered together. Um, and who knows where that stuff is going? There's no chain of custody. Oh, I see. So to prove or disprove what is going where. Um And so the FDA will step in and say, hey, we have a compliance policy saying we're not going to enforce this law that says you can't use animals that have died other than slaughter. So technically they can. So they'll say, oh, no, it's illegal. Yeah, it is illegal. But the FDA is not going to enforce that regulation, if that makes sense. Wow. I jumped off all over the place there. Yeah. No, it totally makes sense. So basically, in summary, Animals that are euthanized at the shelter, animals that are washed up dead on the beach, roadkill is not officially allowed into the dog food. However, nobody's tracking and tracing to make sure it doesn't go there. And effectively, it could go anywhere and could end up there. And the odd thing that this is what really started the film. A few things started the film. But the main thing is that the euthanization drug keeps showing up in the pet food. So, yeah, they had that. They still have that as a problem. And the FDA admits, yeah, it's a problem. It shows up in the pet food. Wow. And they're not reporting, well, where does it come from? <laughs> you know, that's just sort of overlooked. Yeah. And I guess this is not just the, some small brands. This is some pretty big brands end up with this uh, euthanizing drug. It, it has been in a variety of smaller brands, bigger brands over, you know, the past few decades. It'll it'll pop up depending on if they want to test for it. And well, that's it. If you test, you'll find it. If you don't test, you won't find it sort of thing. So yeah. that's and yeah. the past few cases with that, 
you know, it was only tested because an animal had died. And then when the animal died, then it was discovered, oh, there were high levels of, um, it was supposed to be, or the allegation was that it was horse. So this company was saying they had organic beef and they labeled the product organic beef and had a, you know, sticker saying that, like an official government sticker. And it turned out not to be organic beef. It was horse. Wow. Which is not oh. an allowable ingredient that I know about, you know, unless it's under that meat and bone mill kind of slip through. Totally. I mean, one of the tricky things with dogs is, as we know, dogs will eat anything. They literally eat, mm -hmm. you know, other other animals' feces, for goodness sake. So <laughs> they're, they're just monsters when it comes to eating, and they'll eat anything, even if there's a tiny bit of goodness in there, um, regardless of the fact that there is some terrible, terrible other stuff in there. So we almost have to be the, the ones who are monitoring their food and... Um, yeah, that's sort of a summary, guys, of Pet Fooled very, very quickly. Thanks for that. Wow. It's kind of got me going again thinking, yeah, man. And the other thing, of course, which I just want to touch on is I always, you know, I always look at the similarities between dogs and people. And, you know, one of the similarities I, I always think, which which kind of, a, it's, it kind of annoys me because I just think, can you imagine if somebody controlled your food and they said, oh, Dan likes to eat the same meal every single day and he wants to eat that same meal, you know, tuna and pasta. That's all he needs. He doesn't need anything else. Tuna and pasta is the perfect food for him. Don't ever feed him anything ever again. How can you imagine how annoying that must be? And I think for those poor dogs who have fed the same meal every single day for their entire lives because somebody came across. What's your take on that? I mean... I think that that is one of the, if that didn't exist, I don't think the pet food industry and a lot of foods that are on the market would technically exist. So what is sort of fooling the consumer is that concept that they're not stating it, but it's kind of alluded to that. Like if you do not feed a complete and balanced food, is it complete and balanced? Do you know what complete and balanced is? And they, it, it's not demanding to the pet owner that, you know, you will murder your animal, but people have this concept of like, oh my gosh, I have to feed this complete and balanced food every single meal. Yeah, yeah. And the, the crazy thing is actually, if you think about complete and balanced, that's like saying you have to give your children a complete and balanced meal. You should, you have to feed them that. Therefore, feed them sausage and chips and a little bit of salad every single day for the rest of their life and what they're trying to say with complete yeah i mean the concept of dogs and cats needing their vitamins and minerals throughout x amount of time in their life completely valid um you know we want to make sure that we humans are getting the nutrients that we need otherwise we'll get a nutrient deficiency so the concept of trying to mitigate a nutrient deficiency totally fine yes totally but it's sort of flipped into, you know, has to be complete and balanced, has to meet these nutrient profiles. And that's elusive to the end user. And they'll think, oh, well, it meets the nutrient profiles. Well, it kind of goes back to that smoking analogy, but does it mean over the course of the animal's life, the animal will not develop cancer from eating this food? Does it mean that an animal will not get diabetes from the high amounts of sugar? Yep. You know, and... That's when the industry will sort of say, well, that's your decision to figure out, you know, as the pet owner, you have responsibility, you know. 
Yes. And of course, the, you're always going to get a better balance, I think, when you're actually mixing it up. You know, you, there's, there's certain things, for example, if you think of a human food, there's certain things in a tomato that you cannot get anywhere else other than in a tomato mm -hmm. of the quality that is in a tomato or tomato, I should be saying, <laughs> for the American. <laughs> so uh, tomato, you know, you there's things, literally, there's things in tomatoes that you can only get in tomatoes. So, Cole, that's that's pet food. I love chatting about that. However, you have moved on, obviously, from then. Time has gone by. What are you on to now? Where? What's your plans? What have you been working on? And, uh, yeah, you've got a new film in the making, potentially, possibly. Tell us about that. I've kind of moved on and I've kind of been trapped in this topic. I had, an, I had another filmmaker reach out to me the other day, and she was saying, hey, you know, I'm going to be – looking to do a film about the pet food industry, but you've done one, you're doing another. So what can I figure out how not to repeat what you're doing? Yes. And I sort of joked with her and I'm like, listen, this is like a vortex. It will suck you in and <laughs> you'll never be able to leave the topic. And, you know, after the film, I started, um, you know, I made the film for next to nothing and had no marketing budget. And wow. luckily word of mouth yes. sort of allowed this. I mean, it's went, global and went on to platforms such as Netflix, which helped it, you know, yes. get the word of mouth better. But after the film, I continued filming because there was a lot of questions still with how the FDA here in the United States was going after, for lack of a better term, raw pet food companies. And so there were a lot of questions there. And so I was able to sort of be, I guess, in the right place at the right time. And this new film that I've been documenting for, for at least, I guess, four years now, um, I've been able to document a lot of stuff in real time. So yes. there have been government inspections that have occurred, and I have been able to pop into the government inspection and film it, which I don't think has ever been done before. And I've been able to film the government then turn completely in I'm going to say unprofessional or into a harassment intimidation manner. You can't film this. You can't do that. And wow. it's sort of like, what is wrong with our government where here in the United States we're government by the people. But what I'm finding in this new film is that the government wants to be more tyrannous and say, this is what we believe and what we're doing. And we don't care what you, you know, we don't want to have a conversation with anyone about what we're doing. But what I've been able to document over the past few years is the government trying to regulate by their opinion. And it's been fascinating. And other than that, I did do a spinoff called Pet Schooled, PetSchooled.com. And that's sort of, you know, different courses to teach pet owners. You know, if you're new to a fresh food diet, well, these are some of the things you might face. Or oh, great. if you have a question about the government regulating by opinion and you want to understand how that works, well, we have a course here for you, which is completely different than, you know, the movies. You can only cover so much in a movie. So Pet Schooled is sort of where all of this continues. And the thing I love about all of this is that this can be an analogy for so many if not almost all industries, it's about politics. It's about, mm. you know, how law is passed and how regulations are come to be and how corporations can have a massive influence in that, you know, completely fascinating stuff. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the, 
the, the, the pet food industry is headed towards a $30 billion a year industry by 2022. And so, like you say, these are massive, massive organizations which are putting in the, the legislation and doing the checks and stuff. And um, that's why we need people like you. And so it's just brilliant. I so appreciate what you're doing. And especially, yeah, I had a look at Pet Schooled and it, it looks great. I'll put the links all on our page. But uh, pet school is definitely for those people who want to know more, who are fascinated, who want to learn and maybe teach other people and share. So petschooled.com looks looks great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, yeah, FDA regulation, laws, processes. <laughs> wow, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. But we were chatting earlier and you were saying there's, a, there's almost the concern is that some of the bigger organizations are effectively regulating themselves to a degree. Is that, is that, is that what's starting to kind of head towards if we're not careful? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, there's a lot of arguments and there have been throughout the years where, you know, people have argued that the pet food industry is basically self-regulated and, you know, they would scoff at that. What do you mean? And so, the interesting thing here is that what is happening in the United States, from what I see, is really reverberated around the world. So it's not just it happens in the United States and that's it, because these are global companies. You know, it's M&M Mars, <laughs> it's Nestle Purina. I mean, these are massive food companies. Um, and this pet food market is an offshoot of that um, to a certain degree for them. So a lot of times, I mean, they're not just kind of creating these um, top of the line products or ingredients just for pet food industry. You have influences of, well, this is the um, leftover stuff from us producing X, Y, and Z for human food. So yep. instead of getting rid of that, we're just going to, you know, find an avenue for it. And, you know... That's an interesting conversation as well, but all of these companies go to what is called an AFCO meeting, the American Association for Feed Control Officials. Mm. So that is where all of these state departments of agriculture come together as well. So here in the United States, if you sell in one state and only in that state, then you have to adhere to the regulations in that state. But if you make your pet food product in one state and then ship it to another state, then you're in what is called interstate commerce. And these states, you know, although an interesting concept said, well, let's get together and have commonality about like, if you sell a product here and it goes to another state as well, then we can just have the same sort of, you know, feed definitions, for example. Makes sense. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. Totally. Well, the FDA gets involved and they start going to these AFCO meetings. So this has been going on for over a hundred years, I believe at this point. Um, so the concept is fine, right? Well, here's the problem. If I want to make a pet food product, let's say in the state of Illinois, Illinois puts in their law that you must define your you know, definitions as per what AFCO states. So we in Illinois have adapted the AFCO definitions. Well, since they have adapted these feed definitions into their law, that should be public information. And before they adapt anything into their law, it should be open to public comment. It should be discussed. There should be science. There should be all of this stuff happening, right? Well, what I've been able to find is that 
all of these state departments go to AVCO. Making the feed definitions is the Pet Food Institute, which is a lobbying group mm. right next to the FDA, which is right next to that rendering association. So the rendering association and the pet food lobbying groups have large amounts of influence, in my opinion, when it goes to this. But it's all a private meeting. So you would have to pay $550 to go to this meeting that is technically a regulatory meeting where they're creating these feed definitions that are then adopted into law. And they're also there creating what they call model bills. So they create this model bill. So all of these public employees, federal and state, are creating model bills with corporations that is then copywritten. And then the states can then take aspects of that model bill and put it into their state feed regulations, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it, it's very, very weird to go there and see the companies that are supposed to be regulated, basically writing the regulations. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying companies shouldn't have a voice, yeah. but what I'm saying is it all it, citizens should be able to go to these meetings without the expense of $550. Yeah. And, and if we come back to it's a $30 billion a year industry. So the, the impact and the influence these huge organizations and companies can have over the regulatory organizations is massive. And of course, you know, they're deciding effectively whether to make money or feed the dogs what's good for the dogs. And um, that's what this is really about. And influence can work in so many different ways. What I was able to yeah. see throughout the years and what I've been documenting is the FDA. So after Pet Fooled came out, um, prior to Pet Fooled coming out, the grain-free industry was starting to become a threat to the big status quo players to the point to where even in the first film, Hill Science Diet, who loves their grains and advocate for it and, you know, they are a good thing had to come out with a grain-free food. I mean, that's how threatening this grain-free marketing became for the status quo. They were yes. bashing them, but having to come out with their own sort of version of it. Their own product, yes. And, okay, so that was a threat, and raw food started to pick up. So this commercial raw food industry started to take off because, duh, it's kind of common sense, and for the most part, it's results-driven. I have met so many people throughout the years that are like, I just switched the food to a fresher food, and four out of seven problems I was having went away. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I laugh because I'm looking at grain, I'm thinking grain food, grain free food and raw food, meat. And, you know, I, I often think people, it's not that complicated. I mean, whilst dogs don't kind of know, you know, they'll eat almost anything. They still have that preference, I believe, you know, and I've never done this, but something I really want to do is put down maybe just three bowls. One's got meat, one's grain-free, and one is a pile of grain. And you just watch which dogs go and eat the grain. You know, it is, it's so basic at a very simple level. You know, the, the meat is, is, in my opinion, pretty much they, they need a lot of that meat. They love it. And it, it comes back to some pretty basic stuff here. It is, but through this sort of AVCO organization, they've created this sort of perception that like mm -hmm. pet food is rocket scientists and humans can't make that choice for themselves. They need this uh, scientist to do it because I have had so many veterinarians over the years. Like, who are you? Who are you? Yes. Well, I'm someone who spent six years of my life looking into this, probably 
to a deeper degree than any veterinarian or most veterinarians ever look into like actual processed pet foods. Um, kind of interesting how so many doctors are prescribing dry pet foods to their dog and cat. It's just a processed food. You're prescribing it. It's very weird. We do. We get caught up in, uh, I mean, I'm all for science. And yet at the same time, you know, I don't want a scientist making my, 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 my food that I eat. I don't want corporations which are there to make money making my food. I want to be eating fresh food. And the best meals are nearly always those ones which have that fresh produce, which hasn't been tampered with, which hasn't been manufactured and made the best, the most healthy food, I should probably say. It's not always the best. Yeah. I'm not arguing that some of these bigger companies are doing a version of science, but it's their version of science looking into what they want to sell. It's not the whole overarching buy all end all aspect. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, so for people who are going, okay, okay, I need to check my food. I'm, I'm concerned. I don't know what I'm feeding my dog. How, where, where, where can people start? I mean, I, I, I always loved, um, for example, I think it was in the movie they mentioned to just, just start reading the ingredients on your dog's food. And if you can't pronounce half the words or you have no idea, you know, you probably should start being a little bit concerned or at least start looking up some of them because I know I looked at one bag of dog food and literally every word on there was kind of had about 25 letters and I could hardly pronounce it. And it was very concerning. There's only a few words I actually recognize. So, I mean, people can look at the ingredients and the brand, but where do they go next? Where, what, what can people do to, to make sure they're feeding their dogs good stuff? Well, the number one thing I'll tell anyone is don't, don't stress because people, you know, the, you'll have different kinds of people react different ways, but some people might watch pet food and be like, God, I feel guilty. And, you know, we all go through that because what I'm trying to put across to people is that this topic, it sounds silly, but it's really in depth. Like you could spend years looking into this stuff and it's overwhelming and it's angering and everything. Right. But yes. what, I'm, what I'm trying to get across to people as well is that it's actually easy. So like, why are you not feeding your dog? For example, I mean, I don't want to leave cats out as well, but you know, why are you feeding your dog just something from a bag? Like what's causing that? Why is it because you've just always done it? Is it a part of our culture? Why can't you do that yourself? And the good aspect is everyone can learn how to do this themselves um, if they want. If you don't ever want to make your pets food, that's totally up to you. You know, um, but if you want to, you know, people you'll get challenges left and right. You know, you might not formulate it right. You might not do this. You might not do that. But you can learn that if they're saying a food must be complete and balanced then just learn how to make it kind of complete and balanced, you know, <laughs> learn how to do that. It's not impossible to do. I did make my own dog food for a while and it took a little bit of time and it was interesting. And what, what blew me away was actually how, how, how it didn't cost that much money. It was really mm. interesting. You know, I was going to the butchers or I was just getting stuff from the, the local supermarket grocery stores, some of the cheaper cuts of meat and, and um, yeah, well, you could tell my dogs absolutely loved it, but it, again, it had that fresh, fresh feel to it and yeah it, it was it when i looked at how cheaply i could actually feed my dogs from making the food it actually made me wonder well what what's in the bag you know because the bag was costing an absolute fortune um mm -hmm. compared to what it actually cost me to feed them and that's interesting for people to know as just sort of you know people have to make you know their own choice for their own lifestyle but again it's sort of like why are you buying that bag are you buying that bag because it's convenient and you know it? 
and that's the reason why you're doing it or you're are you buying it because you think you can't no one else can sort of only the dog food makers can make pet food you know it's just that's not true so yeah i mean one of the things about some of these bags as well which sits on the uh sits on the shelf that the shelf life of some of these products is insane because of the preservatives that's in the food is that is that a fair comment oh yeah yeah it's shocking how um what what is the shelf life of some of them i heard some uh, i think on one of the movies well they range depending on the preservative i know in the movie we had um a woman she kind of got into this topic because she had an issue with her animal and then she started looking into the preservatives and I, I believe in the film, it's been a few years since I've actually watched the movie last, but I think it was like 25 years or something. The food would stay fresh. Um, I remember yeah. that. Yep. That's the one I'm thinking. The lady said, Oh, can't be our food. Our food won't, won't have gone off because it's got a shelf life of, I think it was 25 or even 35 years. 25 years. And that was, that was a scene every time, you know, we did theatrical stuff here in the States and any time I would be in a theater with a group of people, that would be the one scene every audience would just go, oh, yes. wow, shocking. It, it, it is shocking because these are, this is as if we, this is where if we go back to it, we all kind of know, I think, or well, hopefully we should know that, you know, dogs do like, they like eating meat. And so how, if this dog food has got meat in it, how can you have, meat sat on a shelf for 25 years and still be edible i mean that's insane i mean and one of the things i'd like to cover i don't think i have is when i first started looking into this topic i remember going to the pet food stores and sitting down and copying the labels and thinking well what what is the problem it says corn says wheat says meat byproduct meal it seems to be clear so it took a good few years of just looking down different avenues. One was coming across that APCO book and seeing what people could get away with in regards to pictures and labels and claims. So that was the first big eye opener. But the other big eye opener was I had met with a few different veterinarians and they all advocating for, they would say raw food diet. And I was so confused and I'm like, I've never heard of a raw food diet. What is that? Like, I've heard of dry. I've heard of canned. What is a raw food diet? Is that like a chicken from the supermarket? And, you know, they were like, after spending years themselves, they were laughing at me at that point. Like, Oh no, you don't just get a chicken breast from, you, you know, you've got to sort of, you know, meet the nutrient requirements. So it's more than just chicken breast. But I remember in the very beginning of making pet food, the guy I made it with a friend of mine, we looked at each other and we're like, how are we going to go to a, you know, a dog park and say, did you know that you should be feeding your dog a raw food diet? And we're going to get laughed at and, you know, people are going to roll their eyes, whatever. And so when I came out with the film, I was so worried because I'm like, I think I've wasted five years of my life because who is ever going to believe that, you know, a dog should eat an unprocessed diet? But isn't that such a silly question to even have? Like, totally. Why am I sitting here thinking it's so difficult for yeah. people to believe? Because it's so common sense. I think that raises the whole thing that, you know, we sometimes get stuck in the moment that we think this is how it is. We've figured everything out as humans. We know what's right. And this is this is it. And we don't realize that actually we're just a speck in time. You know, we're talking about if you go back hundreds of thousands of years, you know, we are, we're just a fraction of time. And what we believe will change. And, you know, it, it's sometimes... Only a few years, like five years, can be a huge shift in consciousness regarding what 
is the right or the best food for our dogs. And and so, yeah, you know, here in New Zealand where I live, the raw food diet is huge. It's very popular, very well-known, well, very well-established. And, um, yeah, and, 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 and I think it's important – just if I can jump back as well, where you said, don't stress about all of this. The, the the real reason for this podcast is to raise your awareness. If you haven't watched the movie, watch it. If you if you have watched it, watch it again and make some changes. And, and as you said, Cole, it's, it's not about making the perfect food for your dog, because who knows what that is, to be honest. I mean, I don't even know what the perfect food for me is, but it's at least think about it today and make a better choice. You know, for every person who has a dog starts thinking of how can I make a slightly better food, maybe putting a egg into your dog's diet every now and then, or changing to a different type of dog food and mixing that up a little bit, or giving your dog a little bit of leftover meat or buying your dog some cheap mints from the supermarket and mixing that up. That's a way better diet when you start mixing it up and really giving it a truly balanced. So yeah, just want to throw that in there. It's not about making the perfect food, just a better food. If we all do that, then our dogs will be truly grateful. And really, there's no such thing as perfect. No, exactly. So what I keep trying to stress to people is variety. So even if you're feeding a fresh diet, which is raw or a home-cooked diet, if you don't want to feed a raw food diet, what I still stress is feed a variety, a variety of proteins, a variety of different yep. you know, organs and yep. things like that. Um, it's not... It's not about, you know, it's about variety, which is the main thing. I always remember a story about a man who was shipwrecked at, at sea and all he had was like a, a fishing line and a hook or something. And he was drinking rainwater and he's out at sea for a long time and all he could eat was fish and he was eating the fish, 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 fish. And he got to the stage where he started getting problems. I can't remember if he started to go a bit blind or some weird stuff was happening to his body. And something deep inside, his deep knowing, said to him, you've got to start eating the entire fish, mm -hmm. like the skeleton and the eyes and all the, and maybe not the really bad bits, whatever they're called, you know, the, but, but he started doing that. He ate the head and, and in, and straight away, he said he felt so much better. And it was because basically, yeah, um, you know, the scientists, when he got home and they, he told them, and shared the story, they basically said, yeah, the, there's some really good protein in, if you think of a chicken breast, but there is other parts of the chicken which are actually really good in other ways for us. And um, so, like you say, it's about getting that whole balance and, and uh, not just eating the same thing every day, whether you're eating, feeding your dog's grain or grain-free or raw or, yeah, wet food. Yeah, I'm fascinated by culture, sort of why do we do things yeah. you know, in a given time? Why do we do things one way 100 years ago how can that change? You know, we've seen so much change over the course of just a few generations, whether it's, you know, social or political, you know, we've gone from here in the States, women not having a right to vote to the women, you know, almost winning the presidency here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's certain religions in one aspect of the world where another part of the world, you never even heard of that religion. And so it's sort of like, well, why this place? Why that religion when it doesn't exist anywhere else? And sort of my question for the pet food topic is, you know, why are we doing, you know, why is this culture set up in this way that it is? And can there be anything outside of that? Um, and what I've come to find is, yeah, you do not have to buy into, like if you're a consumer, 
and you're like, I don't want to feed this processed food from these big companies. You don't have to do that. You can exist outside of that. But if that way of doing things, that level of convenience, that price, you know, is the best benefit to you and you want to do it, then you have the option to do it. Obviously, people, we're, we've gotten used to, at least here in the States, cheap food. And so people want to go to the store, buy their chicken, you know, because it's sort of like chicken isn't a real thing. It just appears from the air, you know. Yeah, it's not an animal. <laughs> people don't think like, well, where did this chicken come from? What was it fed, you know? Am I supporting a horrible farming system or a farming system I would be proud of? And those are the deep underlying questions that this topic of pet food gets to ultimately. And it starts to drive you crazy. But, you know, you got to just keep making little incremental changes when you want and when you can. Because we can't do it all overnight. You know, we can't just change um, the entire world overnight. But you can make those small little incremental things that actually do lead to changing the world in the end. Carl, I think that's a brilliant place to finish that uh, the podcast up with uh, the challenge to basically keep thinking and questioning what we're doing. It's so easy, as you say, to get stuck feeding your dog this and feeding that for the rest of the dog's life. And at the end of the day, that's what we're encouraging you to do here. It's not, you know, in the summary, I think it's fair to say it's not that we're saying small, small bags from a small manufacturer are better than big bags or big corporates or raw foods better than grain. But it is important if you're buying your money, if you're buying stuff, yes. if you're spending your money on a product and this is just my opinion, you know, I always try to advocate, well, do you know where that came from? Do you know where those ingredients came from? And does that matter to you? Yes. Um, I think it does. I, do, I work way too hard not to know where, you know, the ingredients in a food that is either causing adverse or positive health benefits for, you know, my pet or for me. I want to know where things are coming from. And I hope in the future that, you know, the world can sort of move into that direction a little bit where, you know, we know at least where things are coming from because when it, everything is secret, then, yeah, you know, what's good there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so just do a bit of research and, you know, before you know it, you'll be, you'll start to realize there's a huge difference between, you know, there's grains which are made with pesticides and there's grains which are without pesticides, you know, figuring out whether the, the, the meat is from, you know, as you said, factory farming or whether it's free range or whatever, there's so much to look into. But uh, I will put some links up to sites where, which will really help you. If you go to, um, if you go to my website, then you'll be able to find, you know, the links to places which will help you just decipher what's in your dog food and which, uh, yeah, which would, there'll be some sites in there which maybe give a bit of an idea as to which ones are better than others sort of thing who've done the research to help you so you don't have to do all the research. Um, but it's good to do some yourself. All righty. Cole, is there anywhere you would like to send people who've listened to this and they're thinking, I want to watch the movie or I want to know more about Pet Schooled, I'll put that website up. That's petschooled.com. But uh, in terms of people who want to follow you or know more about you, you've got a Facebook profile or is there, what, what's the best place for people to, to go? What would you like to say to, to finish off? Sure. I mean, the film, I'm, I'm not a personal lover of social media, but the film does have a, I think, a Facebook page, Pet Fooled, and an Instagram page. And Pet Schooled does as well. Pretty much all of my work is with Pet Schooled at the moment. But Brilliant. Yeah. So good future ahead petschool.com yeah we will put that link up as well and yeah make sure you watch the movie 
Um, Pep Fooled, if you haven't, I'll put those links up. Cole, it's been fascinating and uh, enlightening and exciting to chat to you. And uh, yeah, it may be... I think I'm going to go and have a look at what I'm feeding my dogs for uh, for breakfast this morning as I go go and feed them. Been a lot of fun. I wish you all the best. And, uh, all right. Thank you so much. And I'll, I'll see you down the line. I appreciate it. Will do. Thank you, Carl. Take care. Have a great day. So if you want to find more about all of this stuff, you know, what, the links and the sites that we've talked about, and also maybe um, check out some of your own your own personal dog food that you feed your dogs. I'll put some sites up where you can go and check out how good your dog food is. Then go to the online dog trainer forward slash pet fooled. So that's the online dog trainer forward slash P-E-T-F-O-O-L-E-D. So, Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, do check out their website. You'll be able to find out so much more there from those links, from those sites. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another episode of the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, bringing you one step closer to creating harmony with your dog. 